I find this week's Parsha to be one of the most profound Parshiot in all of Genesis. Now this book, we're finishing Genesis this Shabbat. In this book of the Torah, it is challenging. It has deep family dysfunction. Where you see action in the present lead to repeated unhealthy patterns into the future. And each year, as I read the book of Genesis and I see the characters act, I wince knowing what's coming and hoping that it'll be different, but it never is. Now, a lot of Genesis is action with little forethought of what's coming, of the legacy that is created by present-day action. Now, the pattern that continues over and over throughout Genesis until this week as Jacob nears the end of his life. A life that has been incredibly difficult, from deceiving his dying father, to stealing from his brother, to marrying into a family that then deceives him, confronting his own reality, and then making peace with his brother. Having children where he favors one over the other ones, which leads to them deceiving him, and convincing him that his son is dead for nearly 20 years. And now this week, after this incredibly painful journey, Jacob sees Joseph again. He sees all of his sons. And as he nears the end of his journey, with hundreds of thousands of steps behind him, and only a few steps left in front of him, until he too is at the end of his life. Now one would think that at such a moment that his primary focus would be looking backward and reflecting and reminiscing and regretting and celebrating, but there could be nothing more further from the truth than what happens in this parsha. Jacob, with a few steps left, he gazes deep into the future. Generations beyond him, a recognition that if it's only about him, then yes, his journey is over. But that would be the focus on the eye. And Jacob has moved past the eye. He's learned that a focus just on himself, it has been the root of all of his pain. It was the eye that stole the blessing from his brother and deceived his father. He wasn't thinking about the impact on others besides himself. It was the eye that followed that feeling of liking that one kid more than the rest of the kids, but not thinking about the way it would affect the rest of the children how they would internalize such favoritism. Now, I want to be clear. It's not that he's not reflecting on what he has been through, the mistakes he's made throughout his life's journey. It's central to this parsha. The opening line of the parsha, it harkens back to Jacob's beginning, referring to him as Jacob and not Israel. If you remember a few weeks ago, he became Israel, but he's Jacob again. And it says, quote, Jacob lived 17 years in the land of Egypt, so that the span of Jacob's life came to 147. Now, our ancient rabbinic commentators, they jump all over the redundancy found in this opening sentence. And it's significant that it plays with those two words, that Jacob lived and Jacob's life. In reading why the text first reports Jacob lived and then subsequently says Jacob's life. According to the rabbis, the first Jacob lived 
is reflecting on the meaning of how he lived his life over those 147 years. That's what most people focus on at the end of a well-lived life. We look back and we recount what worked, what didn't. We think of our legacy as the accumulation of our past actions. I, I did this with my grandmother. Anytime she would let me record her, I would put the recorder out, and she would tell me stories of growing up in Austria, hiking in the Alps, escaping the Nazis, going to London, the snow coming into her apartment when she was a teenager in London, making it to New York and Texas, and then everything in between. It was a recording, and it really was sitting in the rearview mirror and looking backwards. This is what the text is doing when it says, Jacob lived. Jacob lived is focusing on him as an individual. It's focusing on the I. But we quickly shift from a rear view mirror to looking ahead to a landscape not yet realized, which is Jacob's life, which is about what comes after him. We know what comes after his I, and it's more than his children that he leaves and he gives blessing to because that would be too short-sighted. What comes after Jacob is not Jacob. It's Israel. It's us. It's an ideal of a people and a nation to strive towards. What follows Jacob is his legacy. A legacy that has the people of Israel gathered online and in San Francisco on a December evening, engaging with his life and what it teaches us today. Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, the founder of the Reconstructionist movement, he captures it best that this moment in the Parsha is realizing the legacy that Jacob leaves is the beginning of the Jewish people as a nation which is evolving as a religious civilization. And evolving, that's the primary word. If we were known as the people of Jacob, we would be stagnant and we would be stuck in the past. But the people of Israel are an ideal, an evolving civilization. There's a profound dichotomy to hold these two ideas of what I do with my time as an I has a direct impact on the we. The challenge of this Parsha is holding these two truths. The first one is the truth of Jacob, which is individualistic, something which is not perfect, which is flawed. And then the other truth we hold at the exact same time, attention by calling ourselves Israel, is seeing ourselves as a nation, as a collective, an ideal, chosen, and striving. Jacob and Israel are about moving past individuality to seeing oneself as part of something bigger and grander. Each of us becoming ancestors with every decision that we make in the present. And we usually, when we think of ancestors, we think about the people that came before us, those people from way before us. When in reality, we are ancestors right now. Everything we do. We have to ask ourselves, are you, am I, are we being good ancestors? To be a part of this Jewish civilization, to be a part of the people of Israel, one must be engaged in a larger Jewish project. 
outside of just their small sphere. And Jacob understands this. It's why he moves from the I to the we. Our prayers and our language, it reflects this in speaking in the first person common plural. We have been saying it all night long. We say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu. And new, it's that suffix right there. It means our God. I say blessings by speaking in the we, not the I. In this week's Parsha, we read the most important line in all of Judaism. We've already said it tonight. And it's drilled into our psyches as Jews. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu. New, our God, not my God, our God. Our legacy, it's not about the I. Now, if I asked most of you what your great, 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 great grandmother's name was, let me just see the hands. Does anyone know what their great, great, great grandmother's name was? One. Of course, Emershine knows his great, of course. But if I asked you, where were the Jewish people 150 years ago? Who would be able to tell me? Because it's about the people. It's not about the person. Our challenge is to hold these two realities of how my individual journey in this life is inextricably linked to us as a people that will live far beyond my individual breath. This week, as we listen to the whispers of Jacob nearing the end of his life, reflecting on what was and looking forward to what will be, it's a reminder to all of us to be the people of Israel, not the people of Jacob. Shabbat Shalom.